No, go ahead, talk. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. No. Do it. No. Do it. <laughs> Say, you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> you're listening to the Word Bros Podcast. The WordBros.com. Welcome to another fabulous edition of Word Bros. I'm Kevin. And I'm Bob. And we have a very special guest today. Um, John Lease is joining us. You may know him from Sync. You may know him from And Emily is Gone. Uh, he's got all kinds of books. Good dude. Uh, very talented guy. Hotel is another one of his books. But he's here promoting his brand new book that's coming out in December, called the crimson cage kevin what is the crimson cage all about it seems like it's about shakespeare meets wrestling and john does a good job of explaining to it explaining to it us uh, explaining it to us from the future in glasgow scotland i've never heard uh, a writer be so excited about a pitch before in my whole life like it was a genuine enthusiasm in his voice and just his he, he was, was so, so excited so yeah. excited like it makes and the cool part about it is when you listen to someone who's talking about a book that they're excited about you in turn get excited about it and it worked like i'm pumped to read yes. this book it's going to be great i'm i'm also pumped to read this book as you guys know bob and i are big wrestling fans so this is right up our alley we hope it's up yours Here up you yours <laughs> up yours <laughs> That is the most honest thing anyone's ever said. John Lease is our guest this week, and he came in just firing away, and I'm so happy because when he came, when he came on, he said, "I'm aware of your show." He didn't say, "Oh, I re- I'm a big fan and I listen," because we have more fucking people who say they listen to our show that I know don't listen to our show. But to hear you say that you're aware of it makes me so happy. It's so honest and just wonderful of you, John. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, I have listened to shows that like, I've been on shows before and then I thought this is really good and I have went and listened to them. So that's going to be one of those ones. We'll see what happens. We'll see. You know what? If you don't listen to the show that you're on, then we've got no yeah. chance at all. Oh, yeah. What I'm trying to get into the rest is I would fuck my ears. Yeah. And so it's like, I've oh my God. performance that guy, art going on because I don't actually know what I'm saying. That guy stinks. I don't want to talk. I don't want to listen to that. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so this interview is already off to a great start. John, it's a pleasure to, I guess, real life meet you. We've spoken over Twitter a bunch about wrestling and stuff, but to actually uh, to actually real life meet you yeah. is cool, man. Yeah, and I guess this is like the closest anybody gets to real life meeting now since the world ended, you know. It's true. <laughs> the, the, the Zoom meetings, yeah. yeah. It's, that's yeah. true. Yeah, it's true. When you said earlier today, I have Zoom. I was like, yeah, you and everyone else in the world. Like, yeah, like well, I'm just trying to figure out what you meant by that. But I thought it was really fun. Yeah, I, I, dude. When I said that, I thought, my God, it's like the most boomer thing. Like I've said, I have <laughs> I got this Zoom that all the kids are talking about. <laughs> well, and then awesome. I was like, well, like, I, I don't do the Twitch. I don't know these kids' Twitch. Like, I don't know <laughs> well, we're on the kids' Twitch right now. We yeah. are. We're all, so, uh, we're all so, over the kids' Twitch. So I, thought, I, thought, I thought like a Twitch was like, you know, just like a nervous thing that I got when I had to talk about one of my books. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But it was streaming platform. Wait, but I have actually watched a few Twitches, and I thought, like, oh my god, this sounds such an old photo. I've watched a few of the Twitches, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I thought that'd be fun to take part in. You know, so then getting to do it. <laughs> and it, it was cool too because you were like i don't have the twitch so how does it work and i was like no 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 i'll take care of all that stuff you don't worry about it so like in a way i thought i was talking to like a 70 year old man but yeah. it's i'm glad well, you're, you yeah. have to remember with the life expectancy of people in glasgow i'm practically 70 so really is it that bad over there <laughs> well but there's this isn't like you know exaggerated i mean i i, I think glasgow is fine i enjoy glasgow but it's like a scientific fact that like there's something called the glasgow effect like you know whether we're not calculating like you know people's life expectancies across the uk it's like the first question is do you come from like a glasgow be anybody else and if you say, <laughs> if you, if you say like glasgow they just like cut like 10 years off right really away, like, you know? yeah why what what's the i mean do you have any like scientific want, proof you know, or i'm sure there are a variety of factors like poor diet um mm. but no like just poor like you know maybe just the general malaise maybe it's the weather maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> but and, just the combination of factors just the very essence of being in glasgow just like set you up for an early day but you still live there yeah well despite <laughs> the fact that it's going to take 10 years off your I'm life you're for a good time in. not a long time so <laughs> so, so basically uh, 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 uh. the glasgow effect is 10 year minus 10 years to your life expectancy that's yeah. crazy I never I heard that. I, I can I can kind of like you know I'm not sure how much I buy into that because I've I've seen like you know my schmiffy of like Glasgow men who are like you know a hundred you know years old <laughs> or maybe they're like forty and they just yeah. like go hundred you know but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have hard lives here. So. I, I I I know I hate it when people tell me this, but why isn't that your next book? Like just doing a book about the Glasgow effect right there. Just do it, right? Like it's right in front of you. <laughs> well, there's a little bit of Glasgow effect stuff in like sync. I think I mentioned them in one of the character monologues at one point, but like, you know, I'm not really properly going into it. <laughs> All right, that's fun. That's fun. So we're having you on. I'm really excited to talk about your new book um it is it's all over the internet i'm super excited about it i'm a big fan of 80s territorial wrestling all that stuff is so wonderful and the crimson cage is uh is coming yes yes tell us all about this book yeah well the crimson cage is um to give you the elevator pitch is a retelling of William Shakespeare's Macbeth set against the backdrop of 1980s southern pro wrestling territories and the play, like, the story follows a guy called Chuck Frenzy, who is like the main eventer of like a small Louisiana territory. He's like a kind of beloved local hero, but like a big fish in a small pond. And he has this encounter with these witches in the bayou who tell him that he's destined to be the next world champion. And then sure enough, like the kind of our version of the NWA, like the GWA it's called in our story, like the world champion is shows up at the Louisiana Territory to work a few dates and it's like he has to think about like what am I going to do to kind of like make my destiny come true like we have to make some terrible decisions and the story then pans out as you might imagine like if you're at all familiar with Macbeth um, cool. I'm kind of, it's weird I'm trying to avoid spoiling it even though it's like a 400 year old story like. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever it is I think you know it's not going to end well since it's called a tragedy but yeah, yeah. <laughs> thumbtacks and ladders and then cages for, for oh, well, that, yeah. well there's like the crimson cages in the title so you know that's going to be coming <laughs> the funny thing is that 
Although, like, it's not, I'm using analogs, like I was saying, like, I have the GWA and I have, like, you know, like, Van Emerald, who's the world champions, kind of like a Ric Flair type figure without being Ric Flair. And you've got, like, various, like, versions of, like, all the different things that are on in, like, the real world wrestling world, but our own version of it. And the timeline is set in 1984, which was a specific choice of mine because it's the year before the first WrestleMania. Like, it's just when things before things changed in mm-hmm. the world of wrestling, essentially. And, like, the big event, like, without giving away too much, the big kind of climactic event it's all building to is like this big, massive cage match. And the sort of touchstone that I was using, the touchstone that I sent to Alex Cornmatt, the artist that I revisited myself, was, like, start the first Starcade mm-hmm. um, back in 1984, which had, like, the cage match between Nick Flair and Harley Race. Mm-hmm. Um and so, like, that was the kind of vibe I was going for. Like, and although, like, it's um, a little, it was a little bit before my time as a wrestling fan. Like, I first got into wrestling in the early 90s as a young kid. Like, I was never the Hulkamaniac. I was, like, a Bret Hart fan. <laughs> whenever I first well, became, you're, like, you're, you know. you're, you're European. Like, Bret Hart is huge over there. Like, it's yeah. been well documented. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Like, so although the 80s was a little bit before my time, like, I definitely went back and watched that stuff and kind of became fascinated by it. And um, obviously, Ricky Steamboat, like, I, I'm a big fan of him. And um, Chuck, Chuck Friends is a little bit like a Ricky Steamboat figure in terms of, like, being the good guy's good guy, but never really the star. He's always, like, the foil to the star. Mm-hmm. And I had this idea of, like, you know, what if, like, someone like that decided, no, I want to go into business for myself and, like, become like everything that I think I should be and be the big star. Um that was kind of one of the inklings that kind of starts the story going. That sounds that's interesting. This yeah. sounds like the best thing in the whole wide world because I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, which was like the heart of Jim Crockett promotions in the NWA. I mean, I remember seeing Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff and all these guys. And Mag- Sting with Mag- blonde hair. Magnum TA is from my hometown. So like you're speaking my wrestling <laughs> well, language. Magnum TA, I love Magnum TA. And, the- like, oh. and if you look at like... Um, the Alex's drawings of like Chuck Frenzy that I've been posting up. He's like, you know, with his haircut and his mustache and how he's a very pursuit, like, you know, hairy man, like, you know, yeah. um, the, the, the vibe is totally Magnum TA. Like, that, that's what the visuals are totally going from. Like, well, you know? and, and to think about like a tragic figure in the NWA territory at the time, like, he was set to be the guy. The like, they, guy, they like, were. You know, Yep, they were building him up to be the Hulk Hogan. He was going to take Ric Flair down, and then he got into the car accident, and it was all over. Yeah, yep. no, it's like it's just, it's, there's so many what ifs in this one, and like one of them is like you know the the what if is like what if Magnum TA never got in that car accident, like you know because he, <laughs> even though he was only he had a short career, but in that time he had we're talking about classic cage matches like Tully Blanchard and. So so without so you went back and doing your research when you say research, you just watched a shit ton of wrestling, is what you yeah, said. Yeah, oh yeah, no, like I watched so much. I think I sat like, and watched like, like a whole like, two whole years of like weekly mid-south television, like you know, <laughs> That's you know amazing. And, like, and taking notes of all the little quirks that they have in the television pro- like, and there's and like, some of the most fun I've ever had, like writing a comic, it's been like writing, like trying to do the very similar to the like you know old 80s tv production like mm-hmm. the pro like writing like promos is so much fun like you know characters cutting like promos then even like little things like get to do like tv segments and writing them deliberately stilted and kind of awkward where they're kind of like horses like and now we have chuck frenzy <laughs> and 
like, you know, and then like, we and like, chuck a pencil, like, walks in, like, you know, and then like, I'm like, no, like, there's no way to look, you know, it's, like, things that you had in the old TV productions. Yeah, the guy standing behind this, in front of the cinder block wall, and he's just like, all right, go ahead and talk, and he's like, sure, dude, like, let's do it. And one of the funny things is, though, is, like, I say that, but there's so little, many cool little ways like wrestling intersects with Shakespeare. Like, obviously, a big part of any Shakespearean tragedy is like, um, like the soliloquies, like the monologues to the audience. And we have those in every issue. You know, they kind of start the issue, but it's presented as a character standing in front of like the curtain and he's got a microphone and he's doing like, a promo like directly to like the audience. Like, you know, like, it's kind of like, you know, like, on camera piece. Um, <laughs> So it's like getting still out of touches at that was a lot of fun. This sounds perfect. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass, but this does, this does sound like the perfect book. I mean, growing up watching all this stuff and I even listened to um, Tony Schiavone's podcast, What Happened When? Have you ever listened to that? No, but um, I listened to a little bit of his AEW Unrestricted podcast. Okay, all right. And I think Tony Schiavone's great. Like I think one of the best things that AEW has done has reminded folk that Tony Schiavone is and was great. I think it's a shame the WWE machine kind of like painted it like the only thing he ever did was like that dumb Mick Foley call and nothing else. Like he's got his love back and he's kind of like getting back into the wrestling history again. So I'd be, I'd be interested to go and listen to that. It's what he's now what he's doing on the podcast is they're just going back and watching the old TBS uh, world championship wrestling shows from 1986 and they're just wa- doing watch alongs and they're talking about everything that happened. So they play all the promos and stuff. If, especially for what you're trying to do, I think you'd love it. It's, oh, yeah, it would definitely. be fantastic. Like my cup of tea. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I'll definitely that out. You just well, get now, to... now, now I'm aware of it. So I can. <laughs> dude, I'll send, you, I'll, I'll send you the link. It's wonderful. Like, but you'll actually listen to this one as opposed to, you know, not <laughs> paying attention to us. Talk, yeah. yeah. I was talking about, but, to do this, you have to have a deep-seated love of wrestling. So where does that begin for you, John? Where where, oh, where does uh, that start? Like, wh- who's your favorite wrestler ever? Well, oh, you don't have to give me one. You could say Mount John Lee's Mount Rushmore of wrestlers. How about that? You get well, more I, can, one. I, can, I can make it easy. I've got a Mount Rushmore I could list off a hand. But if I was going to say my number one favorite wrestler of all time, right. it would be American Dragon, Brian Danielson. And that's not like a pure like basic bitch, you know, like, you know, like your own new newbie answer. But I'm just saying it because you know, like he's cool now, whatever. He's been my favorite going back to like 2006, and I was watching his like Ring of Honor like world title run. And when you actually look at the career he's had in terms of like you know going to WWE and like you think like oh well if he has a respectable mid card run for a while that's going to be great. But then he against the odds becomes like you know like world champion has that big wrestling thirty run and then has to retire. And even in the years he was retired, he was like my favorite wrestler. You know I thought oh, I was hoping he'd come back. You know and like and then like when he has the comeback, you know like and then like, and then, he, then he turns heel and has the best heel run like in years as well. You know and then now he's in AEW doing cool stuff over there. Like you know I just think like you know he's my choice for. Time all right that's that's a, that's a good choice it's respectable that's a, that's a good i mean yeah did uh brian danielson's terrific i still get tripped up by calling him daniel bryan because he was well, in, and in the funny thing is it took me about five years to get used to calling him daniel bryan and i'm having to get used to calling him brian danielson again that's awesome so you said there are archetypes in this book for rick flair and yeah. your your main character is based on ricky the dragon steamboat i'm sure you went back and watched all those ricky the oh dragon yeah no, like every yeah. character has a kind of like you know cocktail of influences like 
for the main character Chuck Frenzy, um, there's a little bit of um, Ricky Steamboat, as I say. Um, there's a little bit of like Macho Man Randy Savage in terms of like you know his relationship with the Valley. Like Charlene is like both um, Elizabeth and Sensational Sherry at the same time, pretty yeah. much. You know? <laughs> and um, you have like you know a little bit of Magnum T, like I said. And also in his look and his design between like, you know, the facial hair, like, you know, like in the tights and stuff like this, there's a lot of like Rick Rude in him as well. Like, okay. Rick Rude, like, you know, I love Rick Rude. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I remember like when I was a wee kid, like back when I was first getting into this, when I watched the Rick Rude versus Ultimate Warrior matches and like, I hated Rick Rude so much. And then when I went back and watched it, it's like, he's the guy that's carrying that match. Like, oh, he's, yeah. Like, oh, like, yeah. Pros, bro, you know, but... Um, and then, like, in terms of, like, you know, I've said Van Emerald, like, is a world champion, is like a Ric Flair figure. We've got um, a bomb, the guy character called the Abominable Grud, who's this kind of like giant, big, you know, monster. Uh, <laughs> that's me talking as a giant no, monster. My puppy, yeah. You can't <laughs> um, but, like, he's this kind of like big monster heel, like, you know, but he's also like really gentle outside the ring, like, you know, and he has, he's kind of like, that draws a lot about, like, from like Vader and like the stories, like, you know, mm-hmm. he, like, cry when he hurt people, like, you know, <laughs> after you know, the matches backstage. And, like, you know, so there's definitely, like, you know, lots of white people. I think people will pick up a lot of stuff, like, watching them go, oh, that's based on that. And there's a sequence, like, you know, in the, I think, issue two, when, like, Chuck's going from territory to territory, wrestling different people. And you can see the various characters of wrestling are all, like, analogues of wrestlers from those territories. Um, like, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff in it as well. That's awesome. That's so wonderful. Now, I want you to do this, because there is a portion of our audience, I'm sure, that doesn't watch wrestling. Sell this book to a non-wrestling fan. Well, I think that's that's easy. I mean, like Macbeth's stories have, not not Macbeth, Shakespeare's stories have been relevant for the past 400 years and folk have been gripped and watched stories they didn't even realise were like remakes of like Shakespeare's stories. I mean, like, because a lot of folk think of like, you know, Shakespeare's like, you know, stuffy, old-timey dialogue and the stage and etc. But it's relevant universal themes like ambition and... um, greed and desperation and it's all deeply relatable stuff and like I remember when I read Macbeth back in the first thing here back in high school like first year of high school and I loved it and I thought this is like a horror this is like a horror story like you know like way back before horror was like you know it's like this got witches it's got like bloodshed it's got gore it's got murder and I'm like this is like a horror comics so i think and one of the things that's made me really happy is i've sent this to a bunch of comic pros to kind of get like you know quotes and like you know, testimonials and stuff and the quotes that have came up a couple of times is i know nothing about wrestling not remotely a wrestling fan but i love this comic and it got me into the story like and it made me so i like that idea of like introducing somebody to a world that's alien to them that they might not know but it feels compelling to them, and like mm-hmm. I, can, I can kind of like draw them into it, and kind of it's almost better. Like you know, it's, I think yes, you'll get a lot if you're familiar with wrestling, but I almost relish the idea of being introducing people to a brand new world that they don't know, um, and might find more interest than they otherwise would have thought. So yeah, I think whether you're a wrestling fan or not, if you're a wrestling fan, you'll love all the kind of details, all the little like historical little flourishes, and all the kind of like little nods to wrestling. If you're not a wrestling fan, you'll enjoy the human drama, you'll enjoy like the scary creature designs that Alex Cormac's put in, and you enjoy just the themes of like, you know, murder and ambition and um, paranoia and like people like self-destructing. Um, so yeah, I think that's plenty for everybody. This book sounds fantastic, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about this now. It's in previews now, right? 
It is in previews now. Um, currently available for pre-order. Um, I'm like we could do the whole thing about giving you like the, the rattling off the order number, but I don't think anybody in the history of mankind is like you know remembered an order number. <laughs> Can I have this book? It's like O C T two or one whatever. So all I say is. Go go to like your local comic shop, and if they're worth their salt, if you say to them, "I want to order in the Crimson Cage," it comes out in December. It's in previews now. They'll do the work for you, and they'll get the book ordered for you and put it on your pull list. So, oh, go ahead. I'm, I was just gonna say, what a perfect time for it to come out right around when Starcade would be, right? Like this is the big <laughs> event. Yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, like you know, kind of just coming up for Christmas as well, yeah. like, you know, nice and high. <laughs> the way it's worked too, it's actually quite funny because um, this and my other comic, Hotel Volume 2, um, are both, I mean, I've been waiting for ages for both of them to get, like, announced. And the way it's worked too, it's like, you know, drawing these comics are like buses, you wait ages for one and two come along at once because, like, you know, they're both coming out in December. I think within, like, one week of each other. So, yeah, Hotel is my other book that's coming out in December. I had volume one of that like launched last year. It was a big hit for AWA. It's kind of like a horror anthology set in this old hotel off Route 66. Um, kind of my version of like Tales from the Crypt or the Twilight Zone or Black Mirror or whatever. Um, and folk loved that. And they've been asking for a second volume and we get to do a second volume, which is great. Um, so I think this one's even better than the last one. So yeah, that's going to be coming out as well. So while you're asking about the Crimson Cage, you can also ask about Hotel. Get a double whammy. Um, sure, tell us about it. We need, we need, we need a double main event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so basically, like you know, like the in, term, in terms of Hotel, like for those who didn't read Volume One, it is kind of like an anthology thing where like each episode is its own story, but it's also kind of like interconnected where. Um, all four stories in volume one took place over the course of a single weekend. It's like the weekend of a solar eclipse, and each story is like the perspective of a different room in the hotel. And we didn't, and that worked really well for that volume, but we didn't want to just repeat ourselves for volume two. Like, oh, here's another eclipse and another weekend, you know, because <laughs> we thought, like, you know, do something like, you know, a bit um, more ambitious. This one takes place over a longer time span. I think it's like a week, this one, and you have the different guests leaving and coming back in and different rooms being occupied. And it's all over the story of this kind of like external threat, which is closing in on the hotel. And so I think it's more ambitious. The individual stories are scarier funnier i think one of them like is genuinely heartbreaking some of the most emotional things i've written which i never thought i would have done in hotel when i first started on it um so it's been i think it's been a lot of fun kind of pushing the boundaries a wee bit because the when i first did volume one of hotel this was my first experience of like pitching something just as a writer to a publisher and then like you know then picking it up and assigning me a creative team like you know where if you look at the creative the creators on the hotel it's like Dalibor Talich, Lee Lowridge, Sal Sifan, these are all like pros, pros who've done like big two work. I'm the effing, I don't know if I can swear, you know, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah, swear. I'm the fucking yeah, hack. Swear, like, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's done nothing that's in this team. And, you know, so like, I kind of wrote it in the scripts and they were just passed on to like Dalibor. And then after we'd done the book, I met him at New York Comic Con where we hit it off. Like, we started talking to each other a lot more like, over the course of promoting the book. And so this second volume, it was really a real pleasure to message Dalibor and say, well, now I know I'm drawing this, I'm writing this for you. So what do you want to draw? What kind of stuff would you be interested in? And we got to kind of riff ideas a little bit more. And I think this feels more like the product of both of our collaboration than the first volume did. So I'm really excited about that as well. That's cool. I think that's a really important question that all writers should ask their collaborators at the end of the day. 
we always talk about, we sing it all the time on this podcast that, hey man, ask, talk, what do you want to draw? Because these artists are going to live with these pages for days at a time, weeks at a time, perhaps. And for us, what does it take? An hour, two yeah, hours? It's, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. no time at all. So it's like, you have to do something that engages your your creative yeah. team as well. I mean, this is like, this is something I think we should be, should be drummed into creator, you know, creators like at every stage of the process. Like when people talk to me about how do you write a comic or how do you do this, it's one of those like how long is a piece of string type questions. But I do, I, I say like, <laughs> but I say that I try and be as regimented as possible. When I'm writing a script, the first thing I'll do is like one, if it's a series, like I'll write doing like, you know, let's say it's a five issue mini series. I write doing one, two, three, four, five and a bit of paper or on my board document, whatever. And I'll describe in one line what happens in each issue. So each issue is like a clear idea. This is the issue where this happens. And so each issue has got a defined purpose. Then when I'm planning out um, each issue, let's say it's like a 22 page um, comic, I'll write one through 22, like one, three, four, five, six, et cetera, and a big, you know, and then I'll write one line, what happens on each page. Like, you know, like whether it's like, and I want each page to achieve something, whether it's like a plot thing being advanced or a character beat, if at any point in the script, I'm a wee plan, let's say I have like page seven, you know, like Bob and Kevin are talking, then like page eight, Bob and Kevin continue to talk. Like, you know, that's normal. You know, but like, you know, that, that page gets cut because like, you know, if it's not doing something else or like advancing things, I think every page I write here is going to be at least a day of the artist's life dedicated to this page i want them to have it be something interesting something important rather than something expendable that's just kind of like tread and water um so i definitely think you have to value one you have to value like you know the artist you're working with but two i think it's important to communicate with them like i think it would be very easy especially i've learned like because obviously awa is a very polished you know um set up and like they have like a whole editorial team there's a lot of infrastructure behind them which is has a lot of strengths like you know that's a lot a lot of positives about that but i do know that because they are so efficient it would technically be easy for me to just send my scripts to awa and then awa like contact the artist you know then the artist sends that away and there's no direct communication Mm -hmm. and i think it's important that you have to have that kind of communication with your artist you have to talk to them i love like you know having like a side chat with like dalabar Alex, you know, me and Alex Cormack, like, we talk every day, pretty much, you know, he's one of my best friends in comics, you know, as well as being, like, you know, my, my comics life partner who's like, done everything with me, but, like, <laughs> and, like, so we'll, we'll always be chatting, he'll always be sending me stuff, we'll always be going over, riffing on ideas about things we're going to do in future issues or the thing we're doing on a current issue, or he'll be saying, what do you think I should do about this, and sending me something in progress, and because we're in different time zones, the way it works out is he'll be finishing a page late at night, so I'll wake up first thing in the morning, and then, like, in my you know, in my DMs, or like, you know, have like, you know, Alex Cormac shared, shared an image. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's going to be something erotic, you know, no, no, like, it's, um, it's like a picture of like, you know, uh, the new page that he's drawn, like, here's, here's a new page for you. And there's nobody, nobody a thing to wake you up in the morning and get into bed and like, oh, turn on your phone, you have a fresh page of comic art, like, you yeah. know, from like, you know, one of your favorite artists. And it just gives you a real boost and I love it. And you know, can have a bit of a love. I talked about the great creative team we have on Hotel, but the Crimson Cage. Obviously, we've got um, Hassan Notes, me and Elhow on letters. Um, like who have wanted to work with for ages, but on art, um, have Alex Cormack, who 
I've worked with several times now. I worked with them on Sync. I worked with them on Oxymoron, Lovely's Nightmare. And I've worked with them in various other like shorts and things here over the years. So the person I've worked with more than anybody at this point. And it's actually the point where the biggest compliment I can give to Alex is now, whenever I think up like a new story, a new comic, um, by default, I always imagine like everybody like looking like Alex Cormack's drawing them. <laughs> you know, and so it's got so it's got to the point I have to act actively train myself to think, okay, I think it's somebody else to control this one because Alex Cormack can't draw everything. He can draw almost everything. He's fast, but he can't draw like, everything. You know, and like, I mean, Alex, I'm not sure like how much like you know you know him or but he's as well as being like a great artist. I think his stuff all looks great and crisp and like you know clean and like, you know really dynamic. He's also super fast, which is like great. Um, and he's a lovely guy. But that whole thing about the triangle, you can choose two things between good, fast, and nice. Like Alex was like, fuck that, I can do all three and then some. Wow, so um, he can do it all. That's he's awesome. One of those lovely guys in me. He's a machine, he pumps at pages and they all look excellent. So you can't ask for more than that. I just like, you know, have to keep on sabotaging his career so he doesn't get but he doesn't break out big and leave him behind, you know. Well, you better t- you better talk to Rich Duick because him and Rich work together all the time too. It's like all of you comics tribe guys, you guys are all really tight. How did you get in with those dudes? Because Rich is from that school, and so is Joe Mulvey and and Alex. It's like all yeah, you guys. Yeah, like all all that group goes way back. Like I'm talking about. Um, I remember I met Rich Duick, um the first my first New York Comic Con in 2011. I think that's when we all first met each other. We know it was back then. But before, but in terms of like my relationship with Comics Tribe, that first started with Stephen Forbes, who was the editor at Comics Tribe. Because way back when I first started making comics, it was when Stephen Forbes was running like a, a column called The Proven Grounds, where like okay. people submit scripts. And if you read, and if you read like you know like his critiques, usually this was like it was fucking brutal he was like you know just like you know this is disastrous you know this is terrible go become an accountant like you, you can't write you know wow <laughs> but, like, but you know but um like when like i thought i'll submit it'll be fun like you know and like you'll see you know see i'll get torn apart and like you'll tell me where i'm going wrong so I, the, the, literally the first comic script i'd ever written was a standard issue on i wrote it back in 2009 um and i submitted that to the proving grounds and stephen forbes like you know, he gave me some notes, but it was actually overall really positive. And like, you know, and he actually said in his wee comment, this is the first script where I wrote, I wrote, I read the sample that I was using for my column, and then I kept on reading past the sample to see how it ended, because like, you know, I was that into it. And he kind of messaged me privately afterwards to say we should work on making this. I think it's something that'd be really good. So he was my, my first editor that kind of like held my hand through the process of like, you know, making comics. He taught me how to make comics pretty much. Like I use, I still use stuff that I learned from Stephen Forbes. Um, and after we'd finished the standard, like he said, okay, in terms of where you go next, like if you want to start pitching this to various publishers, and you know, I'll be there with you if you want to do it, you know, let's go for it. You no, know, or there's this my friend Tyler is like launching a new publisher called Comics Tribe, you know, like it's going to be starting like you know, with like doing like how to's, it's going to be like you know, running a website with just creator resources, and over time, they're going to start introducing their own line of comics. And I think the standard would be a great fit for that. So I like, introduced me to Tyler and like, you know, we started talking. I thought, it's hey, this going to be a good fit for this. I think it'd be a lot of fun. And then like, to be honest, like over the years, like, you know, it's just been, it's such a harmonious relationship. And it's seen, you know, and Tyler's like a philosophical guy. He's open enough where he says, 
you know, I mean, if you have a new idea, go pitch it elsewhere. Go pitch it to the big publishers. But if you know they no, if they don't want to take it, you know, we'll always like publishing because, like, you know, Towers cool. always said that, you know, Towers always said that, you know, if I could buy stock and like John Lee's, you know, like, you know, yeah. I would, you know, <laughs> and, like, and it's good, it's good to have someone who believes in you like, unconditionally like that, like, because I think when I, a lot of my comics, like, and anyone with his goblins like this, sinkers like this, my thing is, I'm not a good pitcher. My thing is like my general, <laughs> my general thing for comics is like you know folk. I'll explain it to folk and folk will go mm, okay, and then like you know then then they'll read it and they'll go you know oh I get it now that yeah. now I get it. I'm like um, a lot and obviously a lot of publishers like you know don't want to do that. They want to get find out that like, what the big deal is. But um, Tyler's always been open enough to go. Well, I'm not sure if I get where you're going here, but I'm willing to see where you're going with it. So let's do it. And so it's been great to have someone who's had that level of faith. And I love those guys. Like every year, um, when I go to New York, like before the convention even starts, we all go down to Joe Mulvey's house. And like, you know, we have like, his, you know, his wife makes barbecue and like, and we just have a good, we have a laugh and like, you know, talk, you know, play with his kids and like, you know, and like, and it's just like, for me, it's the highlight of the week, you know, even more the convention itself. Like, you know, just like, I like, even though like we're on the other side of the Atlantic, like I view those guys like Tyler and Joe and all those like some of my best friends and like I actually feel like actively sad that I've not seen them in like two years. Thanks to the <laughs> pandemic. But um so yeah, I think you know they're great people and like I'm glad and like no matter what I do or like where I go in comics or whatever, like I always want to be doing like something with comics stripe because like awesome. you know, they've always treated me well and like, you know, and they're such good folk and so much fun to work with so that's awesome yeah that's well let's i want to go back to something that you said while you were talking about comics tribe um what do you find so difficult about pitching you're obviously an accomplished writer you've done some really great things but what is it about pitching that trips you up i think for me like i i don't know i think i would sooner write a whole script than write like a single page explaining like why people should read that script. <laughs> like, you know, it's just so hard, I think, to kind of like boil down an idea to its essence. Like when I was pitching Mountainhead, I remember when like I was like, you know, going down from t- you know, table to table, like at conventions, talking about like Mountainhead. That me giving that pitch about, oh yeah, and it's this kid, and then like he's going to like the moon. And actually, this thing happens. It was like some fucking shit stand up comic <laughs> dying on stage, like you know, like, trying to describe you know, like, what happens. And you know, and I just like, it's just something I'm not a natural at all. I think I've been getting better. I mean, I just I'm not good at like the elevator pitch to kind of you know, boil down your comic to a single tweet. Like, all my ideas are like you have to kind of let it boil, you know, and and. Like, so I just don't think that I'm naturally inclined towards the kind of like, you know, high concept, like X meets, you know, Jaws meets, you know, Sister Act, you know, you know. I don't know I now I want to read that. that. Let's, wait, wait, wait. you know what? Let's wait. all write that. Jaws meets Sister Act. How do we make that happen? I know. <laughs> I, I don't have like, that natural, like, you know, ability um, that like a well, lot it, of folk do. Like, it, it's, or it, even things like. It's a completely different skill set. Like, it's a completely different yeah, like, skill yeah. set. I mean, and even something as simple as like, um, when you see folk and, I, like, and there's like, creators that I admire, like, and I wish I had this skill, they'll say, oh yeah, I've been doing pitching, so I developed like 20 rapid fire pitches, like do, 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 and fired them off to like an editor and like, then one, they like one of them, and I'm going to develop that. I can't do that. Like, before, I, I have to, before I can 
developing an idea, I have to know that it's something I like. There's nothing that gives me the fear more than like rattling off some pitch and someone going, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, fuck, I don't know how I'm going to write this, you know? So, <laughs> I, know, I, know. so I, I have to like, you know, I mean, it used to be, I, I, I've got better. Back in the past, I was super neurotic about it, but I had to like, literally write the full first issue to know that it was something that I liked, you know? And like, you know, so was, like, I've written like, hundreds of pages of stuff that just never going to see the light of day because I can't, you know, I, I'd get super invested in it, like I'd write the first issue and I loved the first issue so much, I'd write the whole series and I was like trying to pitch this book that I'd invested like, you know, months of my life into it and it would just get like rejected across the board and like and I've, this is like my story that I always say, like, and I think folk probably have heard it a million times if they listen to another podcast but for me I think like developing a story is like having a baby it's like, you know, you put part of yourself into this new thing and you love it and you would do anything for it and all you can think about is like, you know, my baby. Pitching a comic is like taking that baby, putting it in a hamster ball and rolling it onto the motorway and hoping <laughs> that it makes it to the other side and back. You know? <laughs> you know, because all you're getting is like folk telling you why like your story's crap or unmarketable or not for them and it can crush your resolve. And so, yeah, I, I think, like, you know, it's a hard process. And I think I've got a lot better over it. I, I think finally actually getting some pictures accepted made a difference. Um, like, you know, the fact that we know I was so used to just people either saying no. Oh, well, for the long, the longest time, I just never got any answer at all, which is even Oh, lost. my God, that's the, was, yeah, I, <laughs> that's the and, worst. That's the worst, yeah. And I knew I was kind of, like, going up in the world when folk would actually reply to me to say no. I was like, oh, my God, this feels great. Folk actually cared about me enough to, like, tell me no in my face. Um, and, like, you know, then, then when people actually started accepting my, you know, like, my pictures, like, that gave me a little bit more confidence. And I've been working, after a couple of my recent projects, like, I've been working with a couple of publishers who've been saying, look, you don't need to... Um, get an artist and put together a full pitch, just send us rapid fire pitches, get a word document, write an idea, like have a one page synopsis and character notes and send it to us. So I've been able to get developed, get into that process, which I've never had before of like writing a pitch, sending it off, like, you know, then them saying no, then like something else. And it's like every month or whatever, every, a couple of times a month, like new things, like, you know, and like not becoming so attached to any one individual idea, as hard as that can be. Um, and I think it definitely helps you kind of like develop those muscles a little bit more mm-hmm. well having said all that that's one thing that i'm proud about about the crimson cage i feel like that for all i talk about how like i don't have concise concepts crimson cage is like you can say that one sentence i said earlier on oh it's my beth is like in 1980s pro wrestling that might not be everybody's cup of tea but you say that and you instantly know what you're getting and if it is your cup of tea you'll instantly know that you want to read that comic like you know so like you know i think that's maybe my best pitch that I've developed so far. Well, there you go. And hopefully it'll be your uh, your most successful work. We're really excited about well, it. Well, I'm hoping it's- so. I mean, it's like, I think like, I've written, oh, it's all written on now already, but obviously it's almost nearly all drawn. And I think of the best scripts I've ever written. I'm really proud of the comic. And it's definitely a, a comic I've put a lot of passion into. So hopefully that will come across on the page. It's, I mean, just listening Shakespeare to Shakespeare versus Shakespeare versus Vince McMahon. Shakespeare versus Vince McMahon. Like, what, what else? What else could you want more than that? Like, who who wins that match? Is, is it a draw? Is it is it like Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega? It might be. It Although, haven't haven't said that. Right? Like, talk about like if this takes off, like maybe I'll do a whole bunch more of like these like Shakespeare lesson adaptations. And the one that's waiting out there to get told is like King Lear or Vince McMahon and his shitty children. Like that's like you know like something that someone needs to do. <laughs> 
that's awesome. That's awesome. Dude, this has been a lot of fun, man. I would really appreciate you coming on. And I know it's late in, uh, in, in Glasgow right now, so we don't want to keep you too long. We appreciate it. Uh, the book is in previews right now. And before we let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask who's going to win the G1. Like, who is your pick to win the G1 this year? Right. Now, it's funny you say that. Every year, I have the same answer, and every year it's wrong. I'm going to keep on saying it every year in hopes that one day it's going to, I'm going to, like, you know, will it into existence. So I'm going to say here, Tomohiro Ishii is going to win the G1. <laughs> as much as I would love to see the Stone Pitbull win the G1, I don't think it's ever, it's ever Every happen. year, like, every year I start going, it's, Tom, it's, it's big, it's big, I call him Big Time Ishii. It's Big Time Ishii's year, like, and this is going to happen. <laughs> and I feel how much he keeps on losing. And, and I, I, I'm not I'm not the person that keeps the score, but the one person that do keep the score for is like, okay, is it is an uphill struggle for him now? Is it mathematically impossible? I've only seen the first two nights. I don't think he's won a match yet. I saw his match against Shingo, which was so fucking good. I've uh, actually not. I'm so behind in it this year. I've oh, really? Yeah. I usually every year I'm right on it. This year I've fallen so behind. So I've got a big stack to watch um, this week. You know, and the first thing I'm watching is Shingo versus um, yes. It's It was fantastic like i was saying to my wife i want to learn japanese just so i can understand the shit talking ishii does during his matches because it's just so much fun to watch oh my god that guy is so great yeah no he's one of those guys no matter who you put him against you know it's going to just be like you know a good time like i think my favorite genre my favorite genre of wrestling is like Ishii and someone else like slapping the piss at each other. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So yeah, so let's we'll keep our fingers crossed for yeah, Jared. Right right so you see he's not one of match yet. Right now, I think he's the like upward struggle rather than mathematically eliminated. True. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. He's an underdog. He's an underdog, man. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, uh, John, thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Good luck with the book. We can't thank wait you. to read it. It's gonna be fantastic. This is coming out in December. What is it, four or five issues? How how many are we looking at here? It's a five issue miniseries. All right, um, all right. Five act tragedy. So one issue for the chat. Perfect. That's <laughs> wonderful. So John, thank you so much, man. Thank you. That was John Lee's uh, very excited dude. Very great guy. Huge, huge wrestling fan. Very talented writer. He's got two books coming out in December. Uh, he's got hotel, which is his horror anthology. And then he's got the crimson cage, which is his wrestling Macbeth book. That'll be out from AWA. Uh, pick those books up. What a fun guy. What a cool dude. Get involved with that thing as soon as you can. It was great. So yeah. in other news, in other news, Bob is going to New York Comic Con this week. This'll, so he'll this'll come be back. No, hang on, Kevin. This will be over. Um, New York Comic Con will be oh, over by be the over? time this is released. So, man, let me tell you, oh, did I have fun at New York Comic Con? It was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that. I mean, I guess that. I guess that's. I, I'm. I'm gonna assume that that's what's gonna happen you're gonna have a great time it's gonna be it's gonna be wonderful i can't wait i can't wait it was i can't wait to go back next year because it was that much fun (laughs) so So, yeah man so guys thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week uh i don't know who we have next week but i'm sure it'll be great so uh thank you very much and uh we are the word bros 
You're listening to the Word Bros Podcast, thewordbros.com. <laughs>